0: Hi, welcome back to the History and Mystery Podcast. I am your host, Alex, and today I will be talking about, or actually continuing, the Richard Ramirez series. Now, in the last two episodes, we talked about, you know, his um early life and his crimes, and I'm still going to talk a little bit about, you know, his crimes, just, you know, a tad bit less than before, because I will be focusing on his capture and Um, his life in prison and the legal proceedings and all the court stuff on this episode. So I divided into three episodes, one for mainly time. And yeah, if you want, just put this as your background noise, go read a book or whatever, go cook dinner, go order something, go watch, you know, use this as a background noise clean. I, I often, um, look for, for little things, little podcasts, listen to while I'm, um, Clean my room, or cooking, or something, so, um, yeah, just, okay, let's just get started into it, you know, so, you can go back and listen to the previous episodes, if you have missed them, they will be very important to this episode, you know, they all tie into each other, so, um, yeah, so, I said before that I left off in the second episode of Richard, um, um, leaving the bus station, the Greyhound bus station in Los Angeles, so he saw police there. He got nervous and he decided to just you know leave. So um, when he, the police were actually looking people that were exiting Los Angeles, leaving Los Angeles, or Richard was actually entering Los Angeles. So it was like kind of like opposite, you know. But they still had like they had their police men all over, you know, the bus station. So he kind of like slipped through. And he went out on foot, but he went out to walk, he walked around and went to a small corner store and saw like a group of elderly Hispanic women just whispering and saying el matador, el matador. And then he was like, why are they saying el matador? Why are they pointing at me? You know, and el matador in Spanish means the killer. And then he just turned around and saw his face on every single newspaper and every single TV station. And he got so freaked out. He ran out. And um, he just, like, knew who, that was it for him. The police were onto him. They knew who he was. And they got this um, photo of him from a previous arrest. Because they finally, like, managed to get a fingerprint from the car that James the third um, reported him seeing. Like, I, he, I guess he tried to clean it up, but he didn't clean it all. He left, like, a fingerprint on the steering wheel. And, you know, they managed to do, like, extensive work to figure out who he, who he was. And they did the best they could. And they did a pretty good job, considering this was a time where forensic science and forensic technology and fingerprinting DNA stuff was very brand new. Like, nowadays, you could just get a, a fingerprint done in, like, a few days, you know. Back then, it was so hard. But they finally caught him. They just needed to bring him in to jail. So he was running around and he was actually jumping the fences of, of um, scene like, you know, the he was, you know, those things from, the, from movies where the people jump the fence and stuff. He was jumping fences. He was running across the street and he actually um, tried to carjack a few people. And he actually landed in a East of Los Angeles neighborhood and he tried to carjack a woman, but she wouldn't let him in. She tried to fight back and stuff. And then the neighbors heard the commotions and started, like, screaming and saying, like, this is him. This is a guy that's been terrorizing our neighborhood. Let's let's go get him. So they started chasing after him. They ran and ran. And, like, they actually got, like, you know, what like sticks and um, rods. And somebody got a metal rod and just beat him across the head with it. And he just fell over and he knew that, yeah, that was it. That was it. He was no longer going to kill anyone because he was going to be arrested and the police were of course called and the police did not know that they were arriving to the scene of a, a a serial killer pretty much they just thought it was like something went wrong or someone tried to do something i don't know they did not know but i'm sure if the police um weren't to arrive there you know as soon as they did he would have been seriously injured even more than he was because he already had like a huge gash on his forehead and some pictures you can see the scar, but I tried to see it, but it, the photos were kind of grainy because it was from the eighties. So, yeah, they when the police came, um, Officer Ramirez, which is not related to him at all, but um, they shared the same last the same last name. It's it's a very common name in in Latino communities, you know. He said, "Who are you?" He asked Richard, "Who are you?" And then Richard responded with Ricardo Ramirez, which is his full his Full name his real name and his real name is actually ricardo Levea Munoz ramirez but i guess he just i don't know but yeah he was caught so he was taken back to the police station and there's so much so many media around they're recording you know filming trying to get interviews and you could see like him being arrested like just like look up richard ramirez arrest and you'll, you'll see like a ton of videos i, I promise But you, yeah, so they took him back to the police station, they questioned him for a bit, and, you know, they, you know, put him back, He got the medical attention that he needed, but, um, he actually, he actually got caught in the Hubbard Street, which is not too, um, not too far from where he was, he tried to run from, like, the Greyhound. So it was all like it was all Los Angeles. He got caught in Los Angeles. He started killing Los Angeles, and right then there, the city knew that the nightmare was over. The night stalker was caught in the daylight. So his story did not end just right then and there. No, um, a lot happened during the trial. It, you know, they had to like he had a lot of um. Interesting things happened to the tra- in the trial between the lawyers and the court, and he tried to like appeal his case multiple times. And I, and also like you know personal stuff. So his family was shocked, of course. They they didn't know that Richard had the capacity to kill someone. And he talked about in his later interviews like about people having the capacity to kill other people, but he he said a lot during his interviews. Um, his family just you know. They're just shocked and I read um Philip Carlos' books and they kind of he kinda of went into detail about his sister and how what her reaction was like. She like often came to court and, you know, talked to Richard and stuff and it it was it was really hard for them. Like I can't imagine like waking going to sleep one day and then waking up and hearing that the man who has been terrorizing Los Angeles, one of the biggest cities in the country, I think the third or fourth biggest city is your brother like darn that's so hard to deal with but um yeah so the trial began shortly after he was arrested and um during the during the time he was put in jail richard claimed that he was being poisoned by the jailers because he got a lot of headaches and he couldn't do much about it so he um he was just complaining to his family and trying to do the best he could while he was in um in prison, you know? He couldn't he couldn't leave his cell. He was um he was pretty much like yeah, he was just pretty much confined to one cell. So he, he gained a lot of weight. He couldn't do much, you know, he just he his face got fuller and his hair got more darker and they gave him more of like a scary appearance to some people. So yeah, that was something that happened during his time in prison, and throughout the trial, he tried to like get out of going to jail for a long time. But at the same time, he kind of wanted to go to jail. There were some delays, one of them being um a murder of of a woman named Phyllis Singletary, who was one of the jurors. They had to put, they had to like go through a ton of jurors interviewing about a thousand people try to get the least biased people like somebody who hasn't been keeping up with the news in Philip caller's book. They tried to thinking of, um, you know, having more of the jurors being more Latino or black for, for more like, you know, less biased or whatever, or something around, along the lines of that. But they, they, they had to, you know, it was a very lengthy process, you know, they wanted to get it as unbiased as possible. And she, she, um, she was actually found dead in her apartment. But people started to speculate that Richard had someone do it for him. Like, because he had a lot of fans. And we'll get to that in a second. But it turns out that um, her her boyfriend or husband, um, they got into a uh, domestic abuse, like, a violent case. And he just shot her and then killed him to himself. So either way, there is, like, a rumor that Richard was going to kill... Or sneak a gun into the courtroom. So police heard. And this is a rumor. It was never been confirmed. But they still like took it very seriously. They put like tons of metal detectors. in all the entrances. They did pat-ons of the jurors. And yeah they, they had like. It was very. It was a very um safe. They tried to make it as safe as possible. To make sure no one got hurt. But um yeah. So. He he hired a few lawyers throughout his time. He fired a lot. He hired a lot because I guess it didn't fit what he wanted. And there's controversy with the lawyers and stuff. And I, one of them being that, um, that the, one of his lawyers, um, Daniel Hernandez, tried to prove that Richard was innocent by going as far as saying that Jenny Vinkau's son actually killed her, now nah, Richard, because he had um, previous mental health issues. And that was from Philip Carr's book. I highly recommend it. It's so interesting. And, yeah, it, it, I got a lot of my information from his books and from research, but it w- it's a good book. You should read it. Um, so, he had a lot of stuff going on in his personal life that was kind of, you know, and also his his court days and stuff but he was also had like a lot of um groupies a lot of women a lot of satanists looked up to him for some weird reason like they thought that he was so mysterious and like scary but kind and a woman actually took it one step further and you know started you know sending them pictures and stuff a woman even sent him, like, cupcakes. I said, I love you on it. And had asked one of the, I guess, the prison guards, give one to Richard. But, like, that, I don't think he ever got it. I mean, you see that a lot in serial killers. You see that a lot with Bundy, even Dahmer to some extent. But, yeah, you see that a lot. A lot of people, um, you know, fangirl over them or fanboy or something, which really shouldn't be a thing. I think that's personally very disgusting and awful to the victims. But um, he actually managed to marry one of his groupies. Um, her name was Doreen Leoy, and she was a magazine editor that thought Richard was innocent. Like, he had nothing to do with the crimes. She thought they were, you know, framing him and have, saying that he did something when he didn't. they just, he thought he was 100% innocent. And she wrote dozens and dozens of love, love letters to Richard. And they eventually got married while Richard was on death row, which is not the best place to get married in. Um, But, yeah, she she continued, like, saying that she was adamant Richard was innocent until, like, the news of Mei Lung came out. And I, I guess, like, she might have thought that the death, the murder of a child was just too much to discuss, or too much to, like, you know... I don't know why it was never really clear why they got a divorce because they did, but I guess I don't know. She just was. I guess she was just done with him. It was. It might have been too challenging, but yeah, he had a lot of groupies, he had a lot of fan girls. But at the end of at the end of it all, Richard was actually sentenced to death. He got um. I believe maybe a, I believe like. A couple counts of the death penalty in the gas chambers and he was on death row for a while so he while on death row he did a ton of interviews one being with Philip Carlo but also on the Mario show a lot of interviews people are so desperate to know who has been hurting their community who has been scaring them but he was he actually passed away um, Not too long ago, he he died on June seventh, two thousand thirteen, when he was fifty three years old. Wow, twenty thirteen. It's kind of a long time ago, but it's not that long. But he actually didn't die of of you know at the gas chamber. He died of B cell lymphoma. He died of cancer, but he you know he his story and the fear. That he ignited in the Los Angeles community still lives on, and there has been countless documentaries made about him. He's not as famous as Ted Bundy, or Jeffrey Dahmer, or Charles Manson, but he is someone you'll hear about frequently. Netflix just made a new documentary not too long ago. It focused more on the detective's point of view, but um, which is I thought that was interesting. I, I actually liked it. I, I gave it a really good rating. But, yeah, that was, you know, he had, there's so many books to read about him. I, I could read a lot of them, but that'll be it for this episode. That is it for the Richard Mirror series. I hope you guys are safe and have a good day. I will see you next week with another video. Stay tuned for more. Bye.